You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. All right, well, glad you're here this morning. Uh, and hello to those joining us on Facebook Live. I don't normally say hi to those folks, but we usually have a few that's on there listening, may not be able to be here, other locations, that kind of thing, so um, glad that they're with us as well. Make sure this thing works. So this morning we're going to start a journey through the book of Mark, and we've been through a variety of topics in the last few weeks. Um, We talked recently, we went through the series on how disciples serve, about what a disciple is, uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, not just a believer, but to be a follower, what that really means. And we covered a little on marriage and parenting from Deuteronomy 6. And then before that, we went through the book of Job and how to be prepared for suffering in life, uh, how to do that with joy and have joy in the midst of that. And it's not a matter of if you're ever going to have suffering in your life, but when. And so you got to be prepared for it, and so we went through that book of Job and, and learned a lot about that, and so, and before that, we went through a series back towards the end of last year, we went through Genesis, and so back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament, and it's usually the flow around here, and we like to cover a lot of both, and so uh, here we are in, in what will be my first series through one of the Gospels, which is probably well overdue. Uh, and I admit it should have been sooner as a church, given the importance of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are books that give us eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And so in his life here on this earth, uh, as he came, as God came in human form and, and dwelt among us and went through his ministry here on the earth and and was crucified, his birth, ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension back to heaven. And so... Um, that's what this, these are the accounts of. Now, some background on the book of Mark as we get into this, and so we, we get a little context here. Written by Mark, it's, it's written, uh, some estimate, between 57 and 59 uh, A.D. Some speculate because there's not mention of the destruction of the temple. That's before 70, uh, but yet after some events that are listed there, so it gives you an accurate picture of it's, it's in there between 57 and 59 A.D., it's written to a Roman audience, okay, which is a little different than some of the other books, uh, other Gospels. But um, So it's an important context to understand that this is more aimed towards a Gentile audience than a Jewish audience. And so that he wanted to take this perspective, it really focuses on what Jesus did more than what he said. And you can imagine for a Roman, for that context, a lot of it is for, uh, it's one thing to say who you are, it's another thing to prove it by your actions, and so a lot of this is, it was it was Jesus proved by his actions that he was divinity to this Gentile crew, and so Mark talked, uh, is himself is talked a lot about in the New Testament. We know a lot about Mark, you know, a lot of times we don't know a lot about some of the guys that you read about in the scriptures, but Mark is talked about a lot, and we know a lot about him. The early church had a successful church in 
Mark's mother's house in Jerusalem. Okay, so as the early church got started, it was that was a key place in Jerusalem was his mother's house, and Peter would come by there often. Uh, but also they would have Peter and Mark would spend a lot of time together in Rome because of some stuff that happened uh, in the life of Paul and Barnabas. And because Mark gets invited, Barnabas is is Mark's cousin. Okay, so as Paul and Barnabas set out on the first missionary journeys, uh, Barnabas invites Mark along, says he'd be good assistance. So let's bring him along with us. And so Mark goes along, but but they don't get too far into the journey, and Mark's like, I don't think I want to be a missionary any, anymore. I'm going to go home, okay? So he turns around and leaves. So this causes problems later between Paul and Barnabas because as they go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas is like, hey, well, we're going back through the same area. We're going to go back through and start like we did before. Let's invite Mark along. John Mark is his name, but they just call him Mark. So Mark, let's bring Mark along, and Paul's like, ain't having him. Ain't coming with me, he flaked out on the first one, don't really want him to come along. And Barnabas is like, no, he needs to come along. And they get into such a heated argument that Paul and Barnabas separate ways, okay? And so Barnabas ends up taking Mark with him, and Paul goes off another way, and and so it's through that conflict that, that more stuff happens, and then Mark ends up in Rome, where he spends a lot of time with Peter there and where a lot of the information eyewitness count from Peter. Mark basically writes the testimony of Peter is where a lot of the book of Mark comes from. Reconciliation happens later, by the way, between Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. At the end of uh, 2 Timothy, like in 4.11, uh, Mark, or Paul actually says uh, to the churches, it commends Mark and says he he's been, he's effective for ministry and has been a great help to me and actually gives him great a, a compliments and so there's a there's a reconciling at the end of this that's good but they did have that that parting at one time but where he spends his time in Rome is where where he gets a lot of this information Peter was very key his relationship with Peter was very very close they were very good friends Peter is the one who leads Mark to Christ, disciples him, and so he gets a lot of his writing from him. Um, Peter um, just had a major influence on Mark in telling him the events. See, uh, Mark would be 10 to 15 years younger than Jesus. So as these things are happening, like the Garden of Gethsemane, You've got him 10 to 15 years younger. Mark's just a teenager when all this is happening, okay? And he does get to see some of it, but he was not a disciple following along like Peter was. And so Peter later tells him through his discipling all these things that happened, and that's what he writes. But Mark's mother's house was a regular stop. Even the servants at Mark's mother's house, it tells us over in Acts 12, it says that Mark's servants or Mark's mother's servants in her home would recognize Peter by voice, just hearing his voice that, that they would go, oh, that's Peter. And it's interesting, there's a cool thing that happens where Peter gets arrested, and they all gather at, at Mark's mother's house. They're all there at Mark's mother's house, and they're all praying. And they're like, please, God, please, just, just please 
set him free? Would you do something only you can do? We're afraid for his life. Herod wants to kill him, and and uh, Pilate wants to kill him. There's all these people that, that are out there. Just, they just want to kill him, and so would you set him free? And so this angel, if you know the story, actually springs Peter right out of jail. And so he's an escaped convict. Well, as they're praying, guess what happens? Who comes to the door? There's a knock at the door, and this there's a servant. Her name's Rhoda. She goes to the door, and she opens the door, and there's Peter. Well, what would you do? If you're sitting there praying and he comes to the door, you'd be like, well, hallelujah, come on in. What's she do? She shuts the door and walks off, right, and goes back to the people because you won't believe who's at the door, right? And so as they're standing there, they're like, they don't even believe her. They're like, uh, you're crazy. That's, he's not at the door. So she goes back and, you know, he's at the door and let him in. They're like amazed, right? As they were to be in that prayer meeting, praying for that, it to happen and him to show up. It's absolutely amazing. But but Mark was also, okay, there's not a direct who this is, but it's talked about and given all the evidence, I, I believe it is that Mark was present at the Garden of Gethsemane in the night in which Jesus was betrayed um, as a young man watching these events unfold. It, it actually talks about that in the scriptures of this, this person watching. Mark talks about it. And, um, and some even speculate that the Last Supper took place at Mark's home. Uh, but Mark was, like I said, was 10 to 15 years younger so just in his teens when this happened, so he's in the Garden of Gethsemane watching all this go down, and you can imagine what he's getting to see, and Judas kissed him, the ear gets cut off, all that stuff's happening, he's watching, well, somebody spots him and goes over to grab him, and he's wearing just a robe. He had snuck out there wearing just a robe, and somebody goes to grab him, and he takes off, well, they've got his robe. So uh, he streaks home, right? As the great 70s psalmist wrote, oh, yes, they call him the streak. Don't look, Ethel, right? So the young people are like, that's a psalmist? What? Eth- I've heard of Esther. Who's Eth- Ethel? Like, you know, that's, it's a, anybody know, besides Brady or Tony, okay, I have to rule them out. Anybody know who wrote that song? Ray Stevens, okay. We always have some music trivia, right? We always got to throw that in there. But it, you thought the Bible was boring. You need to read it, right? people streaking. I mean, it's just crazy. You really should read it. But Mark really focuses on the actions uh, of Jesus, the events, not so much on what he said, although some of that's in there. His acts of servanthood, his, his miracles are the focus, Jesus in action. And so Mark reveals Jesus in the light of being servant-hearted and kingdom-minded. That's really the focus of this. And Jesus's work was always for a greater purpose emphasized by, like when he writes, Mark writes in 1045, Mark 1045 says, for even the Son of Man came, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, right? And so that's really the focus of this whole book. And in the midst of being an agent for change in the life of those Jesus did miracles for, he constantly pointed to this this ultimate act of sacrifice that he would ultimately serve humanity with his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And so it's only through faith that these works of Jesus that we 
through those that we can find forgiveness and eternal redemption for our whole lives. And as we concluded the series on disciples serve, Jesus models that in the book of, of Mark, serving others with love, really the focus. So Mark over and over again keeps telling his disciples what's going to happen to him. He's going to die. I'm going to die. This is going to happen. Actually, three times in a row, chapters 8, 9, and 10, it shows Jesus telling his disciples of his coming sacrifice and ultimate victory over death. He tells them over and over and over. But his disciples would either reject that teaching altogether or they would be so self-absorbed that they would just be concerned with other things that they just didn't even really care about what was going on. Even in preparation for the cross, the disciples would only think about themselves, their position and everything. Who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to, who's going to get to sit at your left? All that stuff. Can I be second when we get there? Can I have this position? Or just their safety. And, and they just weren't even concerned about what was going on with Jesus and what it was he was getting ready to do. And is that I think that's what most of us struggle with even today, is we can get so absorbed in our own struggles, in our own wants, as the disciples did, that it's, it's hard to focus our lives on what it really means to for sacrificial service and what that means. And my, my prayer through this, as we read through this, as we just went through that series, is that we'll break out of those patterns of self-absorption and give ourselves to Jesus in service and love to others. Jesus wants to rid us of that sin of self. And so let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Um, let's read that. I'm just going to read the first verse and then talk for a minute here. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now that's a very different intro than when you go to Matthew and Luke and it gives you those genealogies. And it goes through that whole history and genealogies of Jesus and where he came from and it starts way back there. And, and Or you go to John and it goes all the way back to Genesis. We get into prehistory of in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Okay, and it gets, gives you all that. It goes all the way back to eternity past. And so, so no history, just straight into the gospel is where he goes. And starting the starting event of the ministry of Jesus with John the Baptist preparing the way and baptizing people as prophecy foretold, as he would be there crying in the wilderness, preparing the way. And the, the word gospel, most people know this if they're on church for a while, um, means good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. The image of his death, burial, and resurrection are good news for us all. Sadly, some people don't think so, right? I mean, you come across those people. I, I do. I don't know if you do, right? Most people, you know, and that's, that's the hard thing as Christians, I, I can remember just thinking about the questions I've been given as a pastor. How do you stand up there and look every Sunday and people come and go and, you know, most don't get it, right? Because they don't. Narrows the gate. Why is the gate leads to destruction? Narrows the gate leads to life. Few there be that find it. More people are not going to get it than will get it. And that's, that's a hard reality to, to grasp, but yet it just is true. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it just plainly tells you 
in your going about life, being a Christian, being a representative of Jesus Christ, more people are going to say no than are going to accept and, and follow Jesus. It's just the way it is, right? Not because of the Lord of the gospel. Often I think there's a, we aren't going to get into the whole, regardless of chose, choose, chosen, Calvinist, Armenian, all that stuff, okay? A lot of times what we see is people don't have a bad view of the gospel because of the Lord of the gospel, Jesus, or the contents of the news of the gospel, if they really look at that and go, I can be forgiven for free, like no strings attached, it's just grace, mercy. Like if they really understand that, you go, there's nothing in the message, there's nothing that Jesus, people actually love to be around Jesus, right? Especially those far from him, as you look in the scriptures, people love to be around him. Well, the religious people didn't, but those far from him did. It's interesting. It's usually not because of the Lord of the gospel, the contents of the news of the gospel, but because of the representatives of the gospel is why it happens a lot of times, right? See, see Jesus, you've heard me say this before, Jesus is not judged by Jesus and who he is, what's true about him. Our world doesn't do it. He's not judged by people primarily because of what's in the Bible, okay? Most Christians, I'll put that in quote, most Christians don't read their Bible. You think lost people are reading it and going, oh, that's what Jesus is like. No, they're not, okay? They don't read the Bible, so why do we think, we don't, most of us don't read it, so why do we think people outside the faith would? No, Jesus is judged by how you and I as his representatives represent him. As we say in our class 101 membership class, we talk about how members are a walking billboard for Jesus, for his church. And so that's that's what people perceive Jesus to be like is based on what his followers are like. And so if you try to reach someone with the gospel and they reject it as judgmental, God's self-serving and restrictive or no fun, he's harsh, it, it's because followers of Christ, even pastors, right, have, have portrayed him that way to, to, to that person. That's why they have that perception, okay? If a person concludes by your witnessing to them that God is narcissistic and not loving and not merciful and kind, they got that from your witness, not the Bible, okay? I remember being at a conference one time in, in uh, uh, Mosaic Church. What's that guy's name? in California. What's his name? I know Brad knows him. Is that Erwin McManus? Erwin McManus. I was at a conference. He was speaking, and a lady asked him the question, said, you know, I was witness somebody, and they, they, how do you answer the question? Uh, well, that your God sounds very self-centered and self-serving and narcissistic. Like, how do I answer that question to them when God is about his glory and blah, 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 and all this stuff? And, and Erwin's first thing, comment back to her was well how did she come up with that view it had to be because you view God that way yourself and you relayed that to her she didn't come up with that on her own it was in the way that you relayed the gospel that she concluded that so we have to be we have to watch a lot of times people get perceptions based on what our perceptions are we have to be careful how we relay those things non-christians often look at our lives and think why would I want that don't, you, you know what I'm saying? As Christians, we think, 
who wouldn't want this? Like if knowing God, knowing being able to do what we do, represent Him the way we do, uh, be loved by Him, forgiven, the joy, the hope, the fruit of the Spirit, all these things that we, we understand and know, we look at people far from God and go, why wouldn't they want this? But a non-Christian standing on the outside looks at us and goes, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to give to the church? Why would I want to help people? Why would I want to be about others and not myself? Like it doesn't make sense to them outside of it. And, and so there's people that look at us and think we're weird at times, right? There's a good weird and a bad weird, right? If, if a person thinks you're weird in a bad way, it's not because you're a Christian, it's just because you're weird, right? It's just because you're weird, not because you're a Christian. If they think you're weird in a good way, refresh, refreshing to be around, kind, too kind, too loving. Our church has been accused of that in the past, right? One lady's husband said, that must be a cult or something down there. Y'all love each other way too much, right? right? I mean, that's just, that. that's, that's, that's a good weird. I'm okay with that kind of weird, like if they think we're weird that way, right? You're probably on track. And that's what people thought of Jesus in the Gospels, right? Those far from God wanted to be around Jesus. The religious people had their issues, but those far from God saw something good in him. They're like, it's weird, it's crazy, but I, I want to go be around him. So let's give people a good perception, good representation of the Gospel, Yes, people will not like repentance and get convicted by that, and there's going to be pushback just on that part of it, but their view of you should still be kind and loving, even if they reject the Scriptures, right? I mean, my neighbors should should have, have these be standing around their house complaining to their spouse or whatever. Man, that guy just bugs me. He's like so full of Jesus and stuff, and he just won't stop being kind to me. It's really just bugging me. And I can't stand it, but the guy won't quit inviting me over for dinner. Like, so what do I do? Right? Like, he's agitated by it, but going, why is he so nice? Right? All that church stuff is annoying, but he won't be, quit being nice to me. Right? What's his problem? It would be easier for them if I just wasn't nice, right? Get into an argument with them over two inches of property line, right? try to reach someone with the gospel and, and, and they you just got to be ready for give them a good perception of what that is and if your life isn't following Jesus we covered this in the past few weeks past few weeks if your life isn't following Jesus and committed to his church why would we expect those we're trying to reach to do the same so he goes on verse 2 it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and this is this is a rare occurrence for Mark. He doesn't refer to Old Testament a whole lot and go back to that stuff. Like I said, he just kind of goes, immediately this happened, and immediately this happened, and now this happened. He, that's, that's the pattern you'll see throughout this book. But he says here, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the, county, uh, all the country of Judea was going out to him. 
and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and wild honey, and he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist was preparing for the coming of Jesus. Here he is. He's been born. He's been living on the earth. He's getting ready to start this earthly ministry that will lead up to his death and resurrection. And so announcing the start of his earthly ministry, he was he was just telling about Jesus' coming. He was just telling the good news of Jesus that Jesus was the one who would save and redeem people. John was just a voice crying in the wilderness. So I, I don't know if you, I feel that way here, okay? We're in Granger County, feel like a voice crying in the wilderness. Some people even dress like John here, right? But just like, I love Granger County. You hear me make jokes about it, but I know I wouldn't have been stayed here 16 years as a pastor of this church and a couple years as a youth pastor before if I didn't love this community. I really do. And, and hopefully you've come to love it too if, you, if you're new around here. But, but just like John, we aren't the message. We're just the messenger. They may reject the message, but be a good messenger. Okay? It also says in there that Jesus was greater than him, mightier than John, which is true. He's greater than all of us, right? No one is greater and, and mightier than our God, Jesus. But in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, because this can be confusing when you read the account there, in Matthew 11, 11 through 13, it says, Truly I say to you, this is Jesus, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you, you get that contrast there? No one's greater than John the Baptist, but... The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For the, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Okay, and if you go back to cessationist and continuous, continuationist uh, sermon I did when I talked about that, um, right there's another place where I would go, okay, prophecy changed, it became the apostles, but now we have the word. Because prophecy happened right there is all that happened up until now, up until Jesus, okay, then the apostles. So there's, just want you to know as you read scripture, hopefully as you learn these things, you'll see places where you'll go, look at that, right? Stuff we've covered before. See, Jesus taught that the way to be great is to be least. His economy is flipped upside down. It's different than what we think, right? We think Man, if I could just be great at something, if I could be great at my job, at a sport, at, if I could just be greater than other people, then that sets me up. Then I'm great. But Jesus says, no, the way to be great in my kingdom, being kingdom minded, is to be this person who's the least. John saw himself not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. A job that was reserved for the lowest servant in a household, right? Remember the Last Supper and the washing of the disciples' feet. That's, that's what that is. 
That's being kingdom-minded. Philippians 2, as you guys know, is my favorite. Consider others better than yourselves. Don't be self-serving. Isn't that tough? Like, that's why that sticks with me so much is because I guess that resonates with me. Man, I have to focus on this because I can so easily get there. Don't be self-serving. Hospitality. And not just that, but going so far, it says to consider, in Philippians 2, the interests of others. Don't just consider your own interests, but also the interests of others. And that's just that's putting someone else's agenda ahead of your own. Right? That's God's agenda. Let go of your wants and let them become his. And you start serving other people. It's interesting here also to think of, of what what baptism meant to the Jews, okay? I know this is this is written to a Roman audience, but but here you have John the Baptist and these people are coming from Judea, from Jerusalem, a lot of Jews, right? So so do you not think they found this weird that this this guys out here baptizing people? Like what is that? Good weird, but weird, right? So Baptism, what it meant to the Jews. Lots of people come down, religious people and big wigs of the synagogue are coming down, right? To the Pharisees, those guys are coming down there. And they ask him all kinds of questions trying to figure him out. Like, who who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet, right? Trying to figure out who he is. And they ask him all these questions, just and he his simple answer. Just one crying in the wilderness. That's all I am. Um, he, I mean, think of what, what John could have said. He could have said, well, I come from this family. I'm actually the cousin of Jesus, who is the Messiah, right? So I have a lot of credibility. I'm really, me and Jesus, like he's the Messiah. Think about who, like, okay? Like he could have gave him all kinds of credentials and, and who he was, but he just says, I'm the one who's just crying in the wilderness. Jesus is coming. I'm just the messenger. I'm not the message. But baptism is not of Christian origin. That's not something we came up with in the Christian church in the early church, okay? It started with the Jews, okay? Jewish people did this. It was part of the Jewish belief. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become Jewish, there were three things you had to do, right? Well, if you're a woman, two things. But three things if you're a guy, okay? One, you had to be taught the law by a scribe that have to teach you all the law, okay, so that you make sure and follow it. Two, males had to be circumcised. So that, I'm sure a lot of people went, no thanks, okay. Three, had to be baptized by immersion in water. It was a ritual cleansing to get rid of your gentileness right to wash you clean of all that uncleanness okay so that's what you did to convert from being a gentile to a jew and then there was also baptisms that have these little pools little places with water in it that you'd have to go and clean cleanse yourself if you had broken one of the laws were unclean touched something that touched the dead body whatever and now you're unclean you'd have to go do the ritual ceremony of the baptism thing again okay touched the wrong thing, ate the wrong thing, you'd have to be ritually purified beforehand before you could go in the synagogue, before you could go offer your sacrifice, before you could go worship, you'd have to make yourself clean again, right? 
conversion or to cleanse after being a Jew. You understand that, those two things? Okay. To make your, you clean before God, you would do this. And that is what, what is so shocking to people. He, here's John out there. He's not baptizing Gentiles, really, right? He's baptizing Jews from Jerusalem, okay, Judea. And Jews don't have to be baptized to convert to anything, right? I mean, think about what they're thinking. And there's this guy, he's baptizing Jews, right? We're already converted. The Messiah's in it. West Ar- what we foretold is going to happen. And he's saying, well, he's coming. You better be baptized. Repent of your sins and be baptized with his cleansing, not your own works, right? The, the, it, it's, it's a difference of it's not you going back and cleansing yourself where you can go in the temple. This is a baptism saying, Jesus is, is forgiving me of past, present, future sins. I'm his. I'm agreeing with that message, not the, the Jew-only message that we have to go by the law and follow these rules. It's not me doing it. It's based on what Jesus is going to do for me. And so the, that's where I come back to the greatest miracle ever because we can get so tore up over, I just want to see God do something amazing. There's a lot of amazing sitting in here. Is God the greatest miracle God still does is change a human heart. Someone who's greedy to someone who's generous. Someone who's angry becoming peaceful. Someone who's selfish becoming selfless. Someone who's hopeless becoming hopeful and joyful. Because they understand the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit comes inside them and just changes their heart and gives that to them. This, that's a miracle. Like That's harder than any other miracle. The law is now written on their heart. And yes, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's a very public faith and ministry that we live out. So how you live as you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel is your public profession of faith, just as your baptism is after your conversion of faith. You know, because a lot of people say, why don't y'all do a walk forward invitation? Well, you can come, like I'm, well, I won't, I'll, you can come back here and peek your head around the drums. Somebody did that once, okay? That's happened. You just come back there and say, hey, um, you can walk forward. It doesn't bother me at all. Whatever God leads you to do in response to the message is fine. We don't do a walk forward invitation, and people sometimes go, well, then what's your public profession of faith? Well, baptism is, but I would say the greatest public profession of faith you'll ever have is how you live your life from then on and how the world sees you. And you live out that faith in your community and wherever God sends you. So it's not wrong to do a walk forward invitation. We just I'm not interested in how many people we can get down front. I'm just interested in how many hearts God changes and whose life has changed and they're living it out in our community. That's what I want to see. But but it's it's how you live it out, not perfection. Okay, you got to back up because I know a lot of people go, goody two shoes Christian, these things are perfect. That's why I don't go down there a bunch of hypocrites. That's why you should want to come down here, is because it should be actually kind of relieving to you to go, those people don't think they're perfect. And they recognize they're hypocrites. I'm still denying it, right? I can actually be a hypocrite 
and go sit and join those people and try to figure this thing, like, like let God teach me how to do better. There's just a bunch of hypocrites in there. We heard that over and over as we canvassed the area right before we planted the church. We'd do the seminary project we did. We'd go to all these houses, and that was the number one thing. I'm not going to know why. Why don't you attend church? You know, we've done this formal survey from a university, right? So they're very honest. Why well, do I need to go down there? A bunch of hypocrites. Wish I knew then what I know now and understand, because I probably would have said, well, isn't it good that it's that way? That hypocrites can go to church? Right? If, it, if they were all perfect, I sure wouldn't be there. I'm glad they're not all perfect. It's exactly where I need to be. I know I'll be accepted. But you're, you're still going to sin, you're going to mess up. But now, as you are shown, as you look at the Word, as, as, as brothers and sisters help you with that, as the Holy Spirit convicts you of it, you see those messes that you've created and you repent and turn from those things and make it right where you need to and you own your own, own faults. We need to show people kindness and love, but we also need to show people how to fall down and get back up. How to own your brokenness and get healing. Like, they need to see that, too. For you to be able to go, man, that was wrong what I did. And, I, man, I'm sorry. We need, we need to show people Christians know how to do that, too. Not just my bad. Right? I said I'm sorry. What are you getting all tore up for? Right? But really repenting and making it right. And so this gospel of Jesus is what we're messengers of. That's really what this all comes down to today. Not a private faith, but a public faith. Yes, personal relationship with Jesus, but sometimes people put that in this category of, it's my personal relationship. It's just me and Jesus over here. Well, it changes you. And he says, now you're my representative. You're an ambassador for Christ. So it's not just private faith. It's, it's turning you into a very public, I'm his representative. Okay? And that's what... John was doing. It's not putting it under a basket, right? You know, who, who lights a candle and puts it under a basket? Matthew 5, right? Who lights a candle puts it under a basket? Well, that makes no sense. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, right? And I want, I want to see it in my life, in your life, and all those we can be a light to. It's, it's why it's so imperative, okay? This is where I get, I'll try to back down the emotion a little bit and not sound harsh, okay? I'm not, I don't want to be, okay? But I want to see it in you, in me, all the people that we can be a light to. It, it's why it's so important. I don't know that it's fully taken hold in this church yet with all of us. I know we've had our ups and downs. I know we started there and, I talk a lot about church planting. I talk a lot about small groups and multiplying. But that's not something just I have to stand up here and, and, and mark, you know, beat the drum to if nobody, if it doesn't ever resonate in here as a group, as a congregation. We need to plant, multiply small groups and plant churches. That's where we need to, that's our focus, Okay. 
it's, it's multiply and invite and reach out and plant churches. I want to see a light like our church is here. I want to see more. Like I want just more, whatever that takes, right? Across the mountain, wherever that is in Honduras, more cities on hills. Churches. Not buildings, okay? Communities of people who are lights in that community. And to do so, we need to be servant-hearted, kingdom-minded. It takes sacrifice. This, this is a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but does anybody get that? I mean, do you get that? And if you do, it really changes your life. Your priorities get moved around. It changes your family's life, your church life. It changes how you follow Jesus if you get that. That that's the goal. That we can't miss the forest because of this tree that we're planting right here. We've got to be kingdom-minded. It changes how you follow Jesus. So that's my prayer that through this we'll see that and it'll change you. So let's pray this morning. You'll pray with me. If you're here and you've seen God working in your life to call you to Him, maybe that's something that's been going on with you. You've seen it's not just a coincidence you're here this morning, right? That you see the good news of Jesus Christ and you... You want that for yourself. You see that free gift. All you have to do is receive it this morning. God's calling you out to believe and follow, and all you have to do is surrender to Him right now. So, so it's as simple as just, hey, I'm, I've been doing things my way, living my own life, apart from God, maybe thinking I'm Lord of my life, but I'm really entrapped to my sin and myself. And so I, it's that word repentance. We just turn from self and sin, and we turn to Jesus. And now I see Jesus and how wonderful. He's mightier than everything. He can change my heart. He can give me a purpose in my life. There's, I want him to be Lord of my life because I don't know how to do this. But he knows how to do this. He created me, so I, he knows how I, this all should work. So I'm just turning from myself and my sin, and, and I'm asking God to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in my place for my sin that I could be forgiven. And because you defeated death through your resurrection, I can have new life. And so, God, I just pray right now, just the Holy Spirit would just come inside of me, change me, show me what it means to follow you, empower me to follow you. Right now, if God is calling you out, that you would just do that in your conversation with Him. And for those who call yourselves His already, you already say, I'm, I'm His. I just, I just want to pray for us right now. Father, thank you for this church, for this city on a hill. Father, would you just guide us, direct us? Would you push us in the way that you want us to go? Would, I'm so thankful for those who are committed and so thankful for those who serve and do what they do here. Father, may this place shine and draw people here to hear the gospel. May we share it out there. May we, may we just in our homes, in our workplaces. May we be a light. May we be good representatives of you. May people think we're weird in a good way. 
May we look for opportunities to share the gospel with people. Help us to be followers, not just believers. Help us to sacrifice whatever it takes, Father, for you. You died for us, so, so we should just we live for you. And so we declare today, Father, that we're yours. Would you just help us to do what you've called us to do in Jesus' name? Amen.